Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 44 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this on Sunday the 30th of September 2018 and it is a crisp bright day here in Fife. It's a wee bit windy though so I do apologise if you can hear it howling around my garden office. My guest today is a return visit from Gillian McAllister who has had a stratospheric success with her psychological illegal thrillers. I first spoke to Gillian just before her debut came out, and we talked about pre-publication nerves. This time, Gillian reveals the unexpected struggles and psychological impact of her early success. As Gillian and I both suffer with capital A anxiety, there is a frank discussion of mental health, which also involves a wee bit of joking around on the subject, which is something people who suffer from the same ailment often do. If that is something which is likely to offend or trigger you in some way, please proceed with caution. Also, if you have any concerns about your own mental health, please seek help from your local medical service. There is help out there and you are most definitely not alone. Oh, and one other quick warning. Um, I do try to keep this podcast sort of family friendly on the whole Um, but I've popped an explicit warning on this in iTunes um, which you may have seen but if you haven't it's just to warn you that there is some very mild uh, swearing in this episode. I'm not sure exactly maybe two mild swear words from Gillian. I'm blaming Gillian. Anyway just a wee warning there. Okay on to my writing news this month. I've been fairly busy with the publishing side of my business this month, and I'm really pleased with my progress, although I haven't done half of the things I had planned for the launch of The Night Raven. Still, I will be putting it up for pre-order on Kobo, iBooks and Barnes & Noble this week, and then it will be out everywhere, including Amazon, on the 23rd of October, in both paperback and ebook. I would be utterly delighted if you felt like buying it, but of course no worries if it's not your kind of thing. To let you know if it's your kind of thing, I'm going to read you the blurb, and I will also pop a link in the show notes to my mailing list sign up in case you would like to be notified when it is available, um, and also to be entered into the release day giveaway. I've had some merch made, which is very exciting, and there will also be signed paperbacks and other goodies. Okay, I'm a bit nervous. Well, I'm very nervous about sharing these things, but here is the blurb. Meet Lydia Crow. Lydia has always known she has no power, especially next to her infamous and more than slightly dodgy family, which is why she carved her own life as a private investigator far away from London. When a professional snafu forces her home, the head of the family calls in a favour, and Lydia finds herself investigating the disappearance of her cousin Maddie. Soon, Lydia is neck-deep in problems. Her new flatmate is a homicidal ghost. The intriguing but forbidden DCI fleet is acting in a distinctly unprofessional manner, and tensions between the old, magical families are rising. The crows used to rule the roost, and rumours claim they are still the strongest. 
The Silvers have a facility for lying, and they run the finest law firm in London. The Pearl family were costermongers, and everybody knows that a pearly can sell feathers to a bird. The Fox family. Well, the less said about the Fox family, the better. For 75 years, a truce between the four families has held strong. But could the disappearance of Maddie Crow be the thing to break it? So there you go. It is the first book in a new series um, called Crow Investigations, and it is a paranormal mystery. I've also been getting feedback from my first readers, uh, which has been overwhelmingly positive. Thank goodness, phew. Right, that is enough of that. Um, if you do have any questions at all about book promotion or the launch strategy that I'm using or any of those kind of practical publishing questions, please do get in touch. I'd be very happy to answer on the show. That's sarah at worriedwriter.com or of course you can leave a comment on the show notes or as ever find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter um, and maybe use the hashtag worriedwriter or just at me. So before I go any further, a massive thank you as ever to my supporters on Patreon. I appreciate your support so much. It really does mean a great deal to me. I put up the seventh patron-only audio extra just a couple of weeks ago, and I answered a couple of patron questions on NaNoWriMo and also surviving the editing process. And a big thank you to my new patrons, Kate Mayer or Maya, Sandy Hutchins, and Karen Keenan. Thank you so much. If you are interested in accessing the backlist of extra audio and becoming an insider member of the podcast community, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash worried writer. And Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Another nice thing that happened this month was um, Nate Hoffelder, who does the Digital Reader website, did a sort of roundup of podcasts about writing, publishing and so on. And he was kind enough to include The Worried Writer on his recommended list. So thank you so much, Nate. I really appreciate it. I will pop a link to the list in the show notes as well, um, just in case you are looking for some more podcasts to listen to. Thank you, though, for giving me your time um, for listening, subscribing, rating and reviewing the show. I am so grateful. So a quick shout out to some lovely folk on Twitter. Rachel Smith, who is at Rach S. Smithy. Kimberly Parsley, who's at Parsley KS. M. Decanor, who's at Ken Key and Fish. And Poppy T. Perry Books, who's at Poppy T. Perry. Thank you so much. Um, if you do follow me on Twitter, I hope you will forgive um, a lot of shouting about the Night Raven uh, for the launch this month. Um, so when I speak to you next, I'll let you know how that's gone. And hopefully it will be a happy, a happy relieved Sarah. Fingers crossed. But in the meantime, I hope you have a great month writing. And now onto the interview section of the show. My guest today is Gillian McAllister. I last spoke to Gillian a few months before her debut novel, Everything But The Truth, was released. We talked about pre-publication nerves and the strange limbo which exists between the book being finished and being released into the world. Since then, Gillian has published two more legal thrillers with Penguin, Anything You Do Say and No Further Questions. Gathering accolades like Sunday Times bestseller and a new deal with Penguin in America. 
Jillian is back with us today to talk about life as a mega successful author and to give us the truth about how it really feels. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me. Hi, I'm not sure I can live up to that introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you definitely can. And I'm still going to be dining out forever on the I knew her before. (laughs) (laughs) So I do want to say a massive congratulations on all your success. Um, And I hope you know that I've loved all of your books. But your most recent one, No Further Questions, it just about broke me. Um, I mean, in a good way, it is incredible. But would you break the ice a wee bit by telling us about it? Yes, sure. Um, So No Further Questions is about Martha, who leaves her eight-week-old daughter with her sister, Becky, in what is an informal nannying arrangement. Um, She leaves for two nights. And on the second night, Layla, the baby, dies in Becky's care. At first, everybody thinks it's a tragedy, it's cop death, um, but then uh, a post-mortem's done and she is accused of murder. And No Further Questions is the trial, um, so mostly narrated by Martha as she sits in the public gallery and she watches her sister in the dock and a sort of parade of witnesses as they come through the courtroom. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And there are sort of vignettes and lots of different uh, points of view throughout the book. Yeah. And they're just, it's all beautifully done. Was it, was it hard to write? <laughs> um, I mean, they all are, aren't they? But actually, <laughs> I think No Further Questions was my easiest novel to write. I don't know if that's just because it followed anything you do say, which was a nightmare, because it was kind of two books in one. It was a sliding doors novel. Um, or if it was because I did quite a lot of the thinking up front. So, I mean, the, the central problem that No Further Questions had was that I thought it would be boring to sit through an entire trial of reported evidence. So the solution to that was these witness vignettes. Um, and so it kind of wrote itself after that. I did struggle a bit with keeping the voices distinct. Um, that was difficult. I've never done a multiple narrator novel. But yeah, it was easy. It was so easy compared to my second and my fourth. Um, <laughs> I kind of miss writing it. <laughs> are you are you writing your fourth at the moment? Yeah, my fourth is done. Um, I'm about to deliver it to my publisher. I'm in that limbo where you're just hanging on to it <laughs> for no reason. Well, it's always the hardest one, whichever one you're writing. That's, that's the yeah. hardest one, isn't it? Um, so when we last spoke, as I said in the intro, um, you were nervously awaiting uh, the yes. reception of your first novel. Yeah. Um, how did you find that first publication? God, it's so weird. <laughs> I feel like I, so I met Sarah Perry at a wedding. We have a mutual um, friend. And she said to me, this was again before I was published, she said it's a real looking glass moment. And I thought, I wonder like I wonder what she means and it totally is it does change your life um forever in like ways that are quite hard to explain as well I think you become somebody that's in the public eye and so what you know however on whatever small scale that might be um and so it does it does completely change your life it completely changed my life in many ways um yeah it was it was a massive shock that it did so well definitely um I had no idea what doing well was or what to expect. And I remember a few weeks before it came out saying to my boyfriend, I just don't know what my life's going to look like in three or four weeks. And he was, you know, he's quite pragmatic. He was like, well, it will be the same. (laughs) (laughs) But it kind of isn't. And I think when you're 
novel does so publicly well, it changes your identity, um, I think. Or maybe that's just being published generally. I don't know. But it's definitely changed me as a person, for mm. sure. <laughs> and what, I mean, you were saying that you didn't really know what to expect, which is fair enough. But um, I think a lot of us certainly um, carry this kind of idea of what it's going to be like to be published or because we, you know, pursue it for so long or, you know, with it takes a lot to pursue it. So mm. um, was it what you hoped for uh, or what were some other sort of highs or lows or did anything take you aback or surprise you? Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky that it really was the stuff of dreams. Like mm. it was in every supermarket um and it was front and center of every tesco in the uk it was on like the newsstand as you so you didn't even have to go to the book section to get it and it was the book of the week in sainsbury so i had my own stand with my name on it um and it was the asda promotion so i mean mj my publisher knocked it out of the park um so for me there were so many of those moments where you know, I went to get milk and found my own novels, um, oh, which it is amazing. And that's, you know, you don't, you're not hunting in Waterstones and finding it spine out as you do months later. <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely had that experience. Um, so yeah. And I remember I didn't know what, what good sales were and I didn't know what good initial orders were, but I kind of knew when I got them because it was obvious, like it hit the bestseller list. But I remember, I was at work um, and I got the email through at like five or six o'clock to say it was number six on the Sunday Times bestseller list. And I just, it was just bizarre. It was like an out of body experience. <laughs> and I just carried on like drafting my lease. <laughs> and I was just like, it's just weird. It is, mm -hmm. And it's all still, although you can go and see the, the, you know, the stands with your book in and stuff, it is still theoretical in that, you know, you get some exciting emails, but you don't, fill a stadium you don't meet your readers you don't see it really being consumed so I do still find a slight disconnect between success and embodying success I think mm -hmm. I mean I get a lot of like my my phone completely changed pretty much overnight when everything but the truth came out I now have a constant stream of messages from readers um which I've now just got used to and now when I wake up in the morning I know that there'll be some contact from strangers there every day and that's only that's gaining momentum as the more books I publish because people are still reading my first so I think um that is maybe a low I don't I like to hear from readers but it, mm -hmm. it, it is quite confronting the amount of contact you can have with people that you didn't uh -huh. contact yourself um it's all unilateral um, and, you know, sometimes abusive and sexual and strange. Mm. Um, so that is maybe a downside or certainly something that I was unprepared for. Mm. It and does it does take up um, however much you try and compartmentalize it. It does take up energy yeah. and mental space. Um, yeah. And I, I find it, I you know, I'm like you, obviously very grateful when I hear yeah. from readers and I do like the contact as well. But... I can only imagine what it must be like for you with that, with, you know, with that amount. Because um, yeah. I already feel, even at my much, much quieter level, I do have days where I think, gosh, at some point I'm going to have to not respond as much or yeah. I'm going to have to not let this in as much. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I do have like troublesome sort of worries about what I owe readers. Um, do I owe everyone a response and 
should I be nice to pedants who write to me and tell me about typos or, you know, mm-hmm. factual inaccuracies or, yeah, I don't know. And also what I think I find really strange is um, I've always been quite like, like I put about the bestseller list on my own personal Facebook um, because, you know, it's like pride. And um, I found the amount of acquaintances who get in touch with me very strange indeed, <laughs> maybe more strange than the strangers because these are people that like I went to school with or went to uni with, haven't heard from for like 5, 10, 15 years. And suddenly they keep in touch a lot. And I just find it like, I feel like it's quite transparent. Um, and I don't know how to deal with it really, because it's quite conditional. They wouldn't be reaching out to me if I hadn't become an author. Mm. Um, but you don't want to be like rude either um, or feel like diva-ish. So I do respond to those people, but it's quite a creeping I think this is like quite common when you live a life in the public eye a lot of people who help you are it's their job so like they feel like you're friends but actually it's part of it and I think there's lots of social media fawning and everything and I think trying to find the actual real relationships is healthy um because at the moment I could communicate constantly all day with strangers and acquaintances and it sort of feels a bit artificial Mm. at times Yes. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I do think that. Um, it, I mean, it, I do tend to think that with uh, with acquaintances and things, I think. Well, I sometimes forget because I'm because we're in the book world. We maybe forget how un- unusual it is yeah. to have written a book, let alone. Yeah, I know, and I think <clears throat> so I it's know. That kind of people are sort of. There is that sort of glamour to it, and it yeah. doesn't mean that's entirely. Um, artificial it's just that they're quite excited for you I think so yeah Mm. and I think also them seeing my book in Tesco reminds them and then they think oh I really got on with her I should reach out to her and they don't get that signaling with other people Mm. I think you're right like definitely about like it's not uncommon for someone to say oh I enjoyed this book and me to say oh that author's really nice as well and I think you forget when you're in the industry Uh um that that's not that normal um and now I think being published is like quite run-of-the-mill like all my friends are you know so (laughs) but it is an adjustment and Mm. when all the I suppose when all the things that require adjustment come at once that is like a bit scary I think and I wanted to be published so badly that I was completely I was not aware of collateral associated with it um and I would not have it any other way, but it it does send you a little bit bonkers. <laughs> well, I, I was um, obviously watching with with great admiration and excitement for you when it all when it all kicked off. Um, <laughs> but I will, I mean, I also did think that there is a downside to having such a stellar success with your yeah. debut, and I yeah. did feel for you in terms of. Um, empathizing because I'm such a basket case and I thought that um, I wondered what that pressure was like then the pressure of success when you were trying to write your subsequent books or how how has that been yeah actually that is not that is not part of my bonkersness um (laughs) like I'll worry about all sorts of shit but weirdly not not Uh that I hardly ever actually worry about writing in terms of prose plot characters delivery well, that is all fine the things I worry about are probably reception and sales and ability to continue doing the same thing really yes but I had actually already delivered book two um 
and recontracted for three and four before everything but the truth was published. So I had deliberately, because I know that I'm mad, I had put myself in the best possible situation to weather the storm. Mm -hmm. And so I was writing no further questions at quite a leisurely pace because it wasn't due for ages. Um, so that was fine. And I don't I still don't feel the pressure of an audience, even though it's quite large. Um, I don't really know why. I suppose because I've always written, I've managed to not let that invade. Mm-hmm. Um but what did send me mad, I think was actually <laughs> like I did go like I descended in May 2017 to like October probably into worry about anxiety <laughs> which is a like a well-worn trope of my own but I literally started to worry about why I was feeling worried and I would have like non-specific feelings of dread and then I'd think well yeah and then I'd think oh there must be something <sighs> at home for me because I'm feeling full of dread so it must be um and then I would um, have feelings of panic and not know how to dispel them so I'd focus on them and then yeah I just basically felt unsettled for like four straight months mm-hmm. don't think it was a single minute that I felt relaxed and if there was it freaked me out so much that I completely hijacked it <laughs> um, and I don't know actually what really caused it I can speculate that I have noticed a pattern with my anxiety where if I'm really worried about one thing and then it resolves itself i.e my book sells well I then have a lot of non-specific anxiety with nowhere to go Mm -hmm. um and I think I'd also yeah I had also worried about the interaction between my career as a lawyer and my novels Uh I remember Um, yeah, I mean, uh-huh. it was a really big headache for me for a really long time because I knew I didn't have enough hours in the day and I was managing it by not sleeping enough and never having any leisure time. And that itself would contribute to anxiety, I think. Yes. Uh-huh. So it then, wasn't sustainable, was it? No, it wasn't. And it's funny because lots of people say, well, you know, when are you going to go part time? Or that's what they used to say. Um and I would think I am already doing the writing part time slash full time. So it's like I've already done it, like in a way. So really going part time was just correcting something that was out of hand. Mm. Um, so I did that on the 1st of June and actually went like utterly batshit during <laughs> June, um, <laughs> which makes no sense. But I think it was because I sort of solved all of my problems all at once. Uh-huh. Like book had gone well, was allowed to go part time, went part time, finally had enough time and um, just kind of lost my marbles a bit. I was just so worried and I was just worried about nothing. I was worried about sensations in my stomach and thoughts. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. It, make, it makes perfect sense to me because um, the analogy, I mean, I just think about when when I've been really busy and I'm sort of, I've got, I'm just, I'm too busy to be ill and I'm like, I'm fighting off a cold or something. Mm. And the moment you go on holiday or you stop or something, the moment you do that, you're yeah. fine well, you're going to get, yeah. well, you're going to get a cold. And yeah. I feel that my anxiety, I feel the same way. Like I can keep going for a certain amount of time, but just like you say, you, you almost gave it space. Yeah. And so then I it did. could flood into that space spectacularly yeah, and it, for a it really few weeks. Did. Yeah. yeah no it makes total yeah, sense and it's hard to, to <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to describe how like if you don't have generalized anxiety it's my boyfriend would be like what are you worried about like it's nothing like just you know have a beer <laughs> you know <laughs> relax but when you're in it mm-hmm. I felt 
in I was in a completely dangerous situation 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. Like I lost half a stone um, and I don't have half a stone to lose. And I've gained back like I think five pounds of it. So I'm like nearly back to where I was. Um, and I was quite I was quite weird about I was always risk assessing things. Pete, like, you know, someone would invite me to the pub in the evening and I'd be like, oh, can I go? Like, how do I feel? You know, yeah. and it was just so much intense introspection as well. Um mm. Which I think that is collateral of the writer's life because I was alone a lot more. Uh-huh. Um, and that is, it's taken me a year really to learn how to be and how to be fine and that it's fine to relax and that, you know, there's no tiger in the room. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, it was really, it really shocked me um, that that happened. It was the worst mm-hmm. anxiety that I think I've ever had. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I can see it now for what it was. It's just smoke and mirrors. Um but yeah, then at the time it's not. It's not no. no you're and in that, it. Yeah, that's the problem with anxiety is that mostly you think you have problems when there are no problems. Um, but equally, they're very real because you yeah. can't get out of those thought loops. Yeah, and you have that permanent sense of dread. Yeah, and you know it's it's yeah, it's not yeah. easy. So no, it was not easy and when your amygdala is always activated you can't rationalize that's like a product of anxiety um so even if when I was calm on occasional moments in bed or in the bath or whatever I could see it all like it was all just nonsense but when your amygdala's up you know that it's like the alarm center in your brain you just lose the ability to even see that so it kind of it gets you in two ways Definitely. And it's so tiring as well. No, it it's is. It's so yeah. tiring. So yeah. I really, I really feel for you. And I'm glad that things are on a more even keel now. Um, yeah, me too. And so you'll hope, I mean, again, all we can say, or all I say to myself is that I try and learn a new set of triggers, a new thing, you know, I mean, I think I'm, I'm fairly good at spotting Uh, triggers or when I'm starting to have um, unhelpful thought patterns not that that always helps but (laughs) no I mean my whole life is unhelpful thought patterns (laughs) just slightly milder yes (laughs) yeah so um so you have gone part-time at work yeah okay and how how has I mean I was going to ask how that has changed things obviously it changed things by sending you off the deep end for a wee while but (laughs) um, how has how is it now now that you've adjusted to it a wee bit yeah it's good so I write more words on Mondays and Fridays than I used to and I try and take Tuesdays and Thursdays off when I'm in the office and then I obviously go to the office on Wednesdays but I then do try and work Wednesday evening um and I still work Saturdays because my boyfriend does a lot of sport and it kind of suits us quite well Mm And I try to have Sundays off. Um, I wouldn't really say that my leisure time has really increased, um, sadly. But I do think I waste time a bit more. And I think that that is a healthy thing. Um, So I'm not always like, I've got an hour, I've got to write a thousand words no matter what, and then go to bed. It's more like, I've got three hours, or I might piss around a bit at first. (laughs) And I know that procrastinating more when you've got more time is a recognised thing. Um, But for me... I think the luxury of being able to waste time is quite healthy. Oh, definitely. The absolute, I remember you describing your schedule to me. Yeah, it was back, mental. And, and I did, you know, think that this is not sustainable. Um, yeah. And yeah, no, th- definitely. Most people I'd be giving advice on how to not procrastinate. You procrastinate more, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> yeah, like I think, 
I mean, my fourth novel's taken me longer to write than the others. It's taken, it will have taken 10 months dead mm. on. I think No Further Questions was only eight or nine, although there's 30,000 word difference between them. So that might account for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's also just because I've had a bit more slack. Mm. Um, but I don't like, I don't know, I don't, I still don't watch much television and I'm still baffled by other people's free time. But I think it's unfortunate that my work schedule with writing has amped up. Um, like I sold to America and that had to do American edits but I had to do them they wanted the versions to match um, so we decided I'd do them in time for the UK print which Mm -hmm. was like a week after I sold to America and that was a difficult week like my American editor like pulled an all-nighter I think reading and feeding back edits and then I kind of did the same Um, so that was tricky Mm. and that does I mean, it's great. I really wanted to be published in America for my whole career. Um, But it does add workload, um, Uh you know. And, yeah, there's, like, lots of – like, I've started my own podcast, which probably shoot myself in the foot a bit. But um, it's, like, I enjoy it. But I have loads of ancillary things like that and events and articles for things that they just take time. Absolutely. I was going to ask you about that because I'm definitely – you know, way down the rung of success. And I find that there is just an inordinate amount of stuff that goes yeah, along. Yeah, really is. You know, and I can imagine that someone with a profile as high as yours, it must be, well, it must be just m- far more onerous. So how do you balance that publishing side with writing? Or how do you choose what to say no to? Or do you say yes to everything and then just not sleep? I don't really say no to anything, but I'm not asked to do incredible amounts of stuff. Like, there's not that much publicity for my paperback. I tend to go on the radio. Um, So I don't really know. I think it's quite insidious, really, because some of it's stuff that I have always done, like Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. But now that's become... Work. part of the job. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit confusing. And also it's grown. So, like, I... Every day in the bath, I have a bath every day and I go and reply to everyone in the bath and it's just what I do and I do enjoy it. But it is, um, yeah, it's probably, there's probably like 50 people a day. Hmm. Do you um, think you maybe need to draw some boundaries? Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm thinking, I do think yeah. in an ideal world, I would close the door to my writing room at five o'clock and... Oh not what about do on a sunday do... do you have like a digital detox or anything on a not sunday? really mm-hmm. um this is the thing when when it has been something that you've enjoyed yes oh. it is it is tricky um and i wouldn't want to not be on twitter um but i suppose maybe i should say i'm not gonna respond to people on sundays and just read if i want to um the thing is that they sort of invade like the by far and away the most messages i get are on instagram dm because you don't have to follow them Mm -hmm. people send you them and people find my personal facebook inbox um and they just ping up and you can't stop them Mm -hmm. um so it's kind of like it's hard to have a set boundary away from it unless i got like a burner phone (laughs) just for my yeah i mean i would again this is this is me putting my kind of advice hat on so uh feel free to ignore completely but i would i would say it might be worth thinking about some rules for yourself Mm. so for example for you know that that's a good example so instagram um direct messages you could say to yourself well i don't need to reply to i will reply to those in a batched format 
Mm. You know, those they they can they can um they can contact me, but you control when you read them. You control when you read or respond. So what if you said for an hour on I don't know, a Saturday afternoon, that's when I'll go through my Instagram direct messages. Yeah, that is true. I'm thinking of having like a day a week of that stuff and like the endless financial admin, which I find really (sighs) tedious and I'm really bad at it. Like my accountant is always like, Jilly, like I needed this yesterday. Like um, I hate all that stuff. (laughs) Mm. So I'm thinking of dedicating a day a week to it. Like you would in an office job, Uh like it's the day that I do the admin. Um, But it's very hard when you're trying to write a book (laughs) to like take a day away from it. Um, because that is the most important thing. But I do find the way that I behave is, like, for example, at the moment, I'm reading The Evidence Against You, which is my fourth book, and I'm doing 100 pages a day. And I'm like, after that, I can do all the other things. And I generally reach that point at, like, 7 o'clock. Mm. So I'm, then I'm like, oh, I don't want to do the other things. And I think it's, like, learning that there are multiple aspects to the job um, mm. rather than just the books um even though the books are what it revolves around there's still like there's so much other stuff yes uh uh-huh no it's very very difficult it's definitely something that I'm still um struggling with and trying trying different scheduling Mm -hmm. trying different things myself which is why I always ask because I'm looking for tips Um, and you're you're full-time aren't you yes uh yeah Yeah. but I do I do find that I still have to have I have to schedule things um Mm. because otherwise I've stressed the entire time and I won't get things done and whatever I'm doing I feel like I ought to be doing the other thing yeah that's how I feel (laughs) a lot like when you're writing your book you're it's like sitting in a burning building sometimes I'm like I haven't done the you know the fat on my Chinese rights or whatever like just really esoteric stuff as well and stuff that is often quite difficult because you don't know what you're doing so ringing the tax office to talk about that on you know it's just I don't know what I'm doing well that's going to go straight to the bottom of the list because that involves a telephone call and finance and VAT so there we go yeah that's right (laughs) I know like anyone with anxiety has a huge avoidance streak and I definitely do um my boyfriend's actually taken over some of the running because I've got a company associated with my books rather than like personal me yeah 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 yeah, so he is liaising with my accountant and doing the some of the admin. And he's much better at it than me. Like, I haven't got a clue. So so do you think um, longer term, do you think you'll stay working part-time still as a lawyer? Or do you think you would aim to go full-time writing? I really like having a day job um, because for so many reasons, like, I like my job, but also the socialisation and... getting you out of the house and when you're worried about like your plot it's great to just go somewhere else and do something that will pay you a wage um and you know I went to law school for a really long time and I'm still quite junior so I would like to think I want to run both horses um but it is it is tricky at times Mm. yeah no fair enough but that makes a lot of sense but um speaking of horses you did as you mentioned add another horse um, so you run the Honest Authors podcast, uh, yes. which is fabulous. So what inspired it and what's it all about? <laughs> um, what inspired it? I met Holly Seddon, my co-host, at um, Killer Women Festival. And we really got on and we started talking from then, really. 
Um, and I suppose we had like, we were at sort of similar stages. I think her book actually came out almost a year before mine, um, but she had a hardback. So our second novels in paperback were coming out at the same time. And we just found we had like a lot of things that we don't know about, things that we're learning about, like, you know, initial orders from supermarkets and royalties and like foreign rights on second novels and all that stuff. And we would talk like all day, every day about that stuff on WhatsApp. And we just decided, I think, to like, I think I made a joke, like we should have a podcast after we had said something funny to each other. And um, then she was like, we should. And we realized there wasn't a podcast run by traditionally published best-selling authors um about the industry and it's such a fascinating industry like I read the bookseller every day and I follow you know publishers and agents and everything on Twitter and there's always something going on like some big acquisition or a trend and we found it so interesting that we could talk about the industry and what it feels like on the inside and we could discuss these esoteric things like the amount of messages we get and how to deal with them and mm. and it's taken off really it's had like thousands of listens I think and um people seem to enjoy it so we're carrying on we did get an editor that really helped with the time constraints we'd pay an editor um because we were awful at editing we'd procrastinate over it um so yeah um and we do one a fortnight which is probably quite a lot really but mm. Well, that's why I do one a month because I do my own <laughs> editing and I thought there's no way time-wise yeah, I can't. Yeah, hours uh-huh. editing. Yeah. I mean, I do a, I do a, pod, uh, a Patreon-only exclusive little audio extra in the middle of the mm. month. And that one I said to myself, right, I'm not going to edit it. It's just going to be, you know, yeah. really, because, I, you know, otherwise it'll take too much time. Um, and I still end up editing it and faffing around with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a control freakery. So. I know well we like record on Skype and we um when we were editing I would like run two tracks and then mute mine when Holly was speaking and vice versa so that you got the primary audio and it took hours like it was I was just I was working full time when I started it and it was just madness gosh yeah (laughs) but no I do think like like you I think it's such a fascinating and interesting industry um and one that I'm so grateful to be a part of um but I also love the fact that that you guys do very much follow the headline of your podcast in that kind of honesty about yeah about the weirdness and about about how it feels um which I think is really valuable um to other people so yes long may it continue Uh and speaking of um sort of other people listening and value um i would love to go back to your first book if that's okay because a lot of people listening are writing their first book or they've just finished it and they're you know submitting to agents and so on and i just wondered if they're what words of wisdom would you give to somebody writing their first book or going through the submission process um with regards writing I would say do as I do and do prioritize the writing and it's very easy to get swept up in other things um you know like oh I need to build a social media following or whatever but um I think writing the novel is the most important and the most difficult part of it and you have to do it all on spec really you have no guarantee that it's going to lead anywhere and that makes it very difficult especially in the world of sort of instant gratification that we live in um it's far easier to stick a blog post up and get immediate likes and all of that um 
so I would say just bum in chair like most days and write it and it will feel like crappy and difficult but that's because it is difficult rather than a reflection on your own talent it's still difficult for me now and I'm actually really writing my fifth book because I had one that I got an agent on that didn't get taken on by publishers so five books down the line I still find it about as difficult as I did (laughs) in the beginning and with regards to submission um I don't know actually because it's been a while since I've been on submission um and I don't actually think there's any way to not go bonkers over it because you want it so badly um I suppose I've been on foreign submission now for years and I've learned to take that as a bonus and like my American deal I didn't really dwell on the submission at all and it was great because it came as a big surprise um but for a UK submission or querying agents I think you just have to accept the emotions for what they are really and know that you probably will obsess if you are an obsessive which most people with anxiety probably are um because it means a lot to you and to accept the grief maybe that follows if you don't get it um and that is very difficult um and I don't think you can really you can't like rationalize that away really mm, no that makes total sense I completely agree um and what are the sort of now that you are this mega successful uh, <laughs> hard multi-published <laughs> author uh, what are the sort of best and worst things about being a published author The best, I think, is quite intangible, but it's just waking up on a Monday and knowing that I am doing the job that I would have wanted to do when I was 5, 10, 15. And also that I'm existing in a tradition of people before me that have done it. And like, there are some great people in that lineup. And you know, you don't want to convey yourself to William Shakespeare, but it's I am a writer and I am doing that for a living and that's like all I've ever wanted really and it it is the most important thing in my life it's the core of my identity really that's the best thing the worst I suppose would be the uncertainty of it and uncertainty is like my kryptonite really as any anxiety sufferer (laughs) and you know you only really ever get a two-book deal and there's a lot of metrics that you can use to and I'm lucky that my second book sold more than my first and so far my third week on week has sold more than my second and I'm very lucky but there will be a book where that trend books because it's natural you can't you know you won't be selling a billion copies um and I think that is very difficult to weather that uncertainty and to not wonder if there's a trend like if I have a sales dip will that be the beginning of a downward spiral like blah 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 Uh um and you can't control any of that can you that's the thing it's out of your yeah no exactly uh -uh. and I'm aware that it's a very lucky and privileged position and I think that the anxiety suffering me is like when is this like bubble gonna burst um and it's difficult because when you look at mainstream published authors there aren't that many people on book 15 unless they're massive sellers and so it's a little it can feel a bit like shit or bust I think (laughs) and it makes it difficult to exist in it because I'm in the heyday um and it's like you don't you just don't know like in 10 years what am I going to be doing I don't know um and I suppose anybody could say that but I think for authors that uncertainty looms quite large 
Oh, especially when it's all you've ever wanted to do, because yeah, I, exactly. I feel exactly the same way as you. And it was that anxiety of, it still is that anxiety of, what if I won't be able to do this anymore? Yeah. And the rational like response to that is, well, you get a job and you'd be all right. But actually, would we? I don't know, because we've lived it. And it's very difficult when you've lived your dream. Um, yeah, it's almost like kind of a poison chalice in a way I suppose on Um, the other hand you're always an author and you're always going to be the Sunday Times best-selling author because that 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 lasts forever that's not yeah that is true and I think when when you have done well as well I think a publisher knows that it can work which does definitely go in your favor if if there is a dip um so yeah it's not those things don't really keep me awake at night but there is a kind of trepidation I think sometimes mostly I mean I've got a paperback coming out quite soon so I've obviously got the heebie-jeebies about that my answer probably would have been different six weeks ago (laughs) no that makes total sense (laughs) um so just to finish up I would love you mentioned that you just finished um writing your book for so um I assume that's what you're working on at the moment but I'd love to know sort of what's next for you um well I've just so book four is about a woman whose father murdered her mother when she was 17 and um he gets out in after 20 years and she's 34 and um tells her he didn't do it um so that's book four it's called the evidence against you it's coming out in March next year um which will be two years exactly after my debut which is quite like scary thought um and now I've just put together three ideas for book five um, to send to publishers, like my my publisher and my US publisher. So um, yeah. I guess and they'll those, choose one. Are those in the sort of legal thriller? Yeah, less legal. Um, and book four really isn't a legal thriller. Um, it's And the title is kind of less legal slightly than book three I think book three was like peak legal thriller um so yeah they're crime novels really Uh um with relationships in them and have Um, you always been a big fan of the crime genre um yeah I think I really I have my roots in women's fiction my debut that didn't get taken on by publishers was straight women's fiction and I think I lean towards um kind of like Liam Moriarty in genre but I do read quite a lot of hardcore I don't really read police procedurals um except for Susie Steiner who could just write a shopping oh, list oh I loved I love her books yeah Amazing. I know I oh. wish I could write like her I also um, want to be friends with them um, is it Manon Bradshaw yeah I want to be friends with <laughs> Susie herself is not unlike Manon no, really? <laughs> if you meet her so I went to lunch with her at Harrogate um last year and she's yeah very funny um yeah so but I don't really read like um horror like that kind of Uh end of the thrillers so I read like what I write really which is psychological suspense and women's fiction and they're the they're the proofs I get I think because I struggle two genres I um I get a lot of proofs so I'm like currently like drowning in them my postman's getting like more and more passive aggressive as he piles them in my porch (laughs) that is what I read (laughs) (laughs) and where can listeners find out more about you and your books so I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Gillian M author 
Um, I have a website at gillianmcallister.com and Amazon generally. Type my name, you'll find it. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been lovely to speak to you. No, thank you. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.